0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Young Baptist Church English Sunday School class for 4 December 2022. The year is almost up. We are now in our third lesson in this new series on Bible reading. And in this study of the importance of reading our Bibles, we've seen how God's Word is first our firm foundation, the standard that we use to judge our every thought, and it is second our leading light, provided to guide our every step, today we'll see that it is also our bountiful bread to sustain us day by day. Um, we live, unless you did, in case you didn't know this, we live in a time of unparalleled affluence and prosperity, such that most common people in developed countries have access to more food than they could ever consume. <laughs> case in point. We have developed curing processes, refrigeration processes, and even the ability to process and package food so that it's stable for decades. We have pantries, cabinets, and deep freezes chocked full of foods that we may never eat. We have grocers, we have markets that are open 24 hours, year-round, and we not only have restaurants that will feed us full meals, but buffets that will give us all we want and more than we could ever need and what wonders of modern civilization, we say. In fact, we have advanced as a civilization to the point that we have so much, we take it for granted. In fact, we waste it. Now, in the name of safety or health or preference or convenience, we actually throw away more food than we do any other single type of material especially at those buffet restaurants. I can't speak for South Korea. I didn't look up their statistics, but the United States Department of Agriculture, or USDA, and the Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, both estimate that the United States of America wastes between 30 and 40% of its food supply. That's over 130 billion pounds of food that's worth over $160 million. Wait for it. Every year. Every year. But for most of the history of man, it has not been so. A brief study, cursory glance, of many cultures and nations over the past few cent- millennia would show that the majority of people in any given population, in any given era, barely subsisted from, day, from one day to the next, let alone ever had food stores like we do. And I'm not saying that having more than enough is wrong. But to follow the example of God's Word, we should endeavor to be good stewards of all that we've been blessed with, including food, and do everything we can to consume, share, conserve, and repurpose, rather than waste. Amen? Today, we have so many types of food that it sometimes it's hard to keep track. Um, I know I've experienced so many different um, food cultures around the world. But one of the few types of food that we've had almost since the beginning, and we've never given up, is bread. For us now, it's an appetizer, an accessory, or an afterthought. But to most people in Bible times, bread was a staple. And by staple, I obviously mean a core um, part of their diet. Uh, something that that was necessary to sustain them. Even into the 20th century, there were countries where a few hunks of old bread might be all that some poor folks would get in a day. And that's relatively recent, given the, the timeline of man. For many, bread wasn't a pleasure, it was life. And I think we can agree that the God who knows us, who made us, knows us and knows what we need. Thus, it makes sense why food in general, and bread in particular, is a common thread, and important topic throughout Scripture. Because our bodies need to be fed to persist. Amen? So let's look at John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, we read about an interaction that Jesus had with the multitudes who followed him across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. Just the day prior to where we're going to start in verse 26, these people had been the beneficiaries of a miracle. Jesus had blessed five loaves and two fishes, and he had multiplied them into a feast that fed 50, or 5,000 men plus women and children. Not 50,000. I'll make that correction right now instead of an apology later. 5,000 men plus women and children with as much food as they could eat. The Bible says they were filled, right? Not just a few hunks, they were filled. And there was still enough left over to take up 12 baskets full of bread. That's a whole other sermon in and of itself, why there's 12 baskets left over. But we won't get into that today. We can agree that this was abundant provision. They were all fed till they were filled and there was left over. Amen? That's abundant provision and that's a loving God who gives more than we need and better than we deserve. That alone is a great lesson for why you should read your Bible. But we're not going to stop there. Okay? When those same people who had just been fed, the next day followed him across the sea, they gave Jesus the opportunity to expose their hearts. He said in verse 26 of John chapter 6, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. It's important to note here that in the King James, the word translated as meat doesn't mean meat like flesh. It means food. Okay, so if there's any question in this passage or passages like it, um, food and meat are used interchangeably. Um, here also Jesus is teaching his followers a spiritual lesson, not a physical one. He pointed out that they were thinking (laughs) carnally, which is short-sightedness in the Bible. So, in verse 28, um, likely thinking that they were transitioning to more spiritual matters, they generically said, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Those are some pretty generic words, I think. But, I wonder if they were still thinking to themselves, not out loud maybe, but to themselves, about gaining the ability themselves to multiply their food like Jesus had. Maybe that's the spiritual thought process that they had. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But we often try to cover our selfish ways with spiritual sounding jargon, even though the Lord can see right through all of that. He can see through our manipulations and our motives. But Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God. You want to talk about the works of God? This is the work of God. That you believe on him whom he hath sent. And their hearts were exposed again because they weren't convicted. They asked Jesus for another sign. And then they actually had the gall to quote scripture to him. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They could have been quoting and he had a number of passages, Psalm 78, 24 through 25, and had rained down manna upon them to eat, and had given them of the corn of heaven, man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. Or Psalm 105, 40, the people asked, and he brought quails, and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. Or Nehemiah 9, 15, and gave us them bread from heaven for their hunger, and brought us forth water for them out of the rock for their thirst, and promised them that they should go in to possess the land which thou hadst sworn to give them to give. So the people knew the Word at least in the extent that they had heard it their whole lives, right? In synagogues they read through the entire Old Testament or their whole Bible every year, verse by verse. They read through it and then the next year they start over again. So they're hearing it if they're showing up to the synagogue and it culturally was part of their daily lives. So these are things they heard that were applied in different ways. But the actual historical event that they're referencing is recorded in Exodus 16, so let's go there. Exodus 16, Exodus chapter 16 from John chapter six. Parallel passage here, well, correlating passage, I guess. And we're gonna start in verse two. Verse two of Exodus 16. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat at the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day. And then look at this. God did what he doesn't have to do, and he explained himself to Moses. God would give them what they wanted, but the provision came with a condition. The end of that verse is that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. So God kept his word, as he always does, and the next morning when the dew evaporated, there in the wilderness, something was left behind on the ground. Verse 15 says, and when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, it is manna, for they wise not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. The word in Hebrew, manah, literally means, what is it? What is it? Manah. Okay? So then verse 31, they are saying, And the house of Israel, this means everybody now, forever, called the name of it, manah. The name of of the bread from heaven is not translated as bread from heaven. It's translated as, what is it? It, cut, it then, But then it describes it in verse 31. It was like coriander seed, which is small, and white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. So unleavened wafers we can think of. We've seen those in our normal day. But the, the honey sweetness, I think, is a whole other story of application that we could get into if we had the time. But even though Moses told them it was bread from heaven, they didn't call it bread from heaven. They called it by the name that meant they had no idea what it was. And that's what it is now codified as forever. We even say manna from heaven in English. And they ate that for 40 years while they wandered in the wilderness. And even with such an enduring, miraculous provision from God, they still complained. Sad testimony. But not unlike our lives. Let's go back to John chapter 6. That was the historical account that the multitudes in John chapter 6 were referring to when they quoted some of the other scriptures from, their, uh, from either Psalms or Nehemiah or somewhere else. But back in John chapter 6, that account of the Israelites getting manna in the wilderness was where the discussion was going with Jesus, and the people made a correlation between Jesus multiplying the loaves and God sending manna. But the next verse, verse 32, shows that they didn't really understand that this was the fulfillment of what pastor teaches all the time, of a type, anti-type relationship. In the Old Testament, there were people and things and and happenings that happened or lived or were given as a type of what was to come, right? It's a picture of what is to come. It is not the thing, but it points to the thing. And then the anti-type is the theological term for the actual thing that the type was pointing to. The manna and Jesus was a type-anti-type relationship, but the people didn't get it. Okay, then... Look, back one. Right. <laughs> then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. That reaction is similar to the woman at the well. Right? There's a very similar reaction. Give me this water that I don't have to come back here and draw more water. Give us this bread that we might live forever and not have to make more bread, not have to seek more bread, not have to go hungry. Moses knew what God was doing, though. All the way back in Deuteronomy, that I skipped to a minute ago, He told the Israelites what God was doing, and he codified it in Scripture. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness, to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. like we talked about in Exodus. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know. You didn't know what it was. You called it manna. But God humbled them. God let them be hungry. And then God gave them what they needed. But the purpose of this process, of this test, of what they went through in the wilderness, is at the end of the verse. That he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Moses got it. The Israelites didn't get it. Jesus got it, but the multitudes didn't get it. Okay, He let them be hungry. Then he fed them with Wonder Bread, the original Wonder Bread, so that they would learn that it's the Word of God that gives them life. The Word of God gives us life. Amen? That's a pretty good reason to read your Bible. Amen. And then if you look at Matthew 4, 4, and Luke 4, 4, correlating passages in the Gospels, that shows us that Jesus quoted this very scripture to Satan when he was tempted in the wilderness. And that's a temptation in the wilderness that Jesus passed. Forty days in the wilderness of temptation, hungry and weak, compared to 40 years in the wilderness with temptation, hungry and weak. God provided both for Jesus as he did for the Israelites. One man 40 days in the wilderness. Millions of, uh, of the nation, 40 years in the wilderness. Again, there's a correlation here. But Jesus passed the test. And the Israelites failed it over and over again. Okay. So then, the Old Testament bread from heaven was a type of the one who was to come. The one that we know is, according to John 1, the word of life. And who, according to John 6, is the bread of life. John 6, 35-40. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me, and believe not. And this is another correlation from the multitudes on Galilee to the Israelites in the wilderness. Unbelief. It's a common thread throughout the history of Israel, is their unbelief. All the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, like the manna came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son, that's Jesus, and believeth on him may have everlasting life. That sounds like another passage in John. And I will raise him up at the last day. The provision of manna was an imperfect picture of the future provision of the true bread, Jesus Christ. Just as the manna came down from heaven, so Jesus came from heaven. Just as the manna met their physical needs and miraculously saved their lives, Jesus met their spiritual need. Oh, well, At this point, was prepared to meet their spiritual need in the whole time frame. He's already met it but we won't talk about time right now. (laughs) Jesus met their spiritual needs and miraculously saved their soul. This type, anti-type relationship, just as Deuteronomy 8.3 tells us, they didn't know what manna was. John 1.10 tells us they didn't know who Jesus was. And he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. And God, in sending Jesus, was still proving his people, like Moses said he was doing in Deuteronomy 8, to know what was in their hearts. Ultimately, that's a lesson we all need to learn. God doesn't care what we look like. God doesn't care what we say. He cares what's going on in our heart. Because we can say a lot of things. We can do a lot of things. We can think a lot of things. But what we actually believe in our heart is where God wants to get to the foundation of the matter. And that is the Word of God, the necessary use of the Word of God. The bread that you eat every day is to fuel you and to let you grow. And you can't grow if you don't eat. You can't grow spiritually if you don't eat. Jesus said, I am, in John 6, 48. He continued, I am that bread of life. He's making it as absolutely clear to these people as he can. Three times, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread. Jesus is admitted all throughout John, he's the living bread, he's the living word, he's the living water, right? This is very common thread throughout John's gospel, which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, that's Jesus, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. This is a very straightforward presentation by Jesus of what he has come into the world to do, and they still don't get it. So it's a remarkable and sometimes very difficult fact to get our minds wrapped around, even as present-day Christians, with the entire canon of the Word of God, that none of the people in Israel in the Old Testament or New Testament times had the benefit of. They did not have the full canon of Scripture. They only had what God had revealed to them up to that point. And they were commanded, they were required to do with what God had given them, what they could do. Right? Abraham's faith was judged off of what God had shown him and promised him, just like Paul's faith was judged off of what God had shown him. We could try to say from our perspective that Paul was more faithful than Abraham, but Paul had three-quarters of the, the scriptures that Abraham didn't have. And yet Abraham still believed, according to Hebrews, Abraham still believed the same promise that Paul did, even without the scriptures to read every day. So what's my excuse? If Abraham believed it from a few times over his hundred and something years of God talking to him, and I can read it every single day, the same thing God told Abraham, the same thing God told Paul, and the same things that the Spirit revealed to them that I can read every single day. It's remarkable, and like I said, difficult to get our minds wrapped around, that Jesus is fully God, and fully the Son of God, and fully the Son of Man, and the Word of Life, and the Light of Life, and the Bread of Life. Jesus gave man life at creation, he gave his life at Calvary, and he gives new life to every believing Christian. In John 14, 6, where Jesus, again, straightly replying to his disciples, he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by him. By the man Jesus Christ, by the word of God, which is Jesus Christ, by the light that is shed upon all men, which is Jesus Christ, by the bread that we must consume to live, which is Jesus Christ. We need to know Him. We need to believe on Him. We need to trust Him. We need to obey Him. All of that is done by the spiritual bread of life, by eating the spiritual bread of life that is the Word of God. Just like bread, we need it every day. There's more than we could ever consume, right? I know I've, I could probably count, I've read through the entire Bible at least 15 times. I'm way behind. I've been a Christian longer than that. Way behind. I'm trying to catch up. But at least 15 times I've read every verse of the Bible. Pastored probably three, four times that. Still, we would both admit, there is more here to learn than we have ever read. Aristotle, I think, said, the more that I know, the more I know I don't know something along that lines. I'm paraphrasing because it wasn't in English, but it's very applicable to the Word of God. The more that we learn, the deeper still there is to know. If you only ever at the surface, you might think you know it a lot, but the deeper you get, the greater of the depth of His Word you see, and the more you want. And that is a great reason for reading the Bible every day, because The more you know, the more you know you need to know. Surely, without every meal that you've had your whole life, you wouldn't be who you are. You would have struggled at some point, right? You can't remember every meal you've ever had, but they they were exactly what you needed when you got them. And you're stronger and better for having had them, even if you can't remember them. And so it is with the Word of God, sometimes, we need it over and over and over and over before it gets us where we need to change or where it gets us where the application is, is there. But we have to ingest it. We have to meditate upon it. We have to read it over and over again. We have to think on it. We have to study it. We have to compare it. And they, these are just, again, one, one passage in the New Testament compared with one passage in the Old Testament that have a few cross-references, right? This is one example of the type-anti-type relationship. This is one example of the the identity of Jesus Christ, right? (laughs) That we've we've spoken for over 30 minutes now, (laughs) right, about these relationships in the Old and the New Testament, that if you are a person who doesn't read the Bible, one, you can't trust me that any of this is real. I could have made it all up. I could have just typed a bunch of words under a bunch of words and tried to tell you this. It's not my authority. This is the Word of God, and the reason we have a preserved Word of God is so that you can open your Bible and read the same thing that I'm reading and see that I didn't write this, man didn't write this, and it's impossible to prove otherwise that this is the inspired, inerrant, infallible, preserved Word of God. There's so much to know, but just like bread, and there's so much to eat in the world. You can have as much as you want, and you'll never eat it all. You can have as much as you want, and you'll never eat it all. But we need to be eating it. We need to be reading it. Read your Bible every day. And thank the God of heaven for providing such a costly, miraculous, priceless bounty for your heart and soul. Amen? Amen. And remember, I was challenged this week to think of this in a different way. The memory verse, Psalm 119, 89-90, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. And if you think about John 1, that Jesus is the word, that means that Jesus is forever settled in heaven as well. And that should give you great faith in him and in your eternal destination, if you are a Christian. All right, let's pray, and then we'll get to the service. Thank you for your attention. Almighty